This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, in caverns, deep below the metro area, it is episode 667 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I am your head number one. My name is Matt Baum, and personally, I don't need Miss Marvel with stretchy powers to have a good time. Settle down, people! And I'm your head number two, the internet's Joe Patrick, and I am thanking the sweet baby Jesus that episode 666 is behind us. Hopefully I didn't do my soul any permanent damage, but I will not be entertaining any racist or misogynist criticisms of Ms. Marvel, but is it kind of a racist move on Marvel's part to human wash her inhuman roots? Today on the no, show... I don't think so, because... <laughs> no. They're a race, Joe. Today on the show, we're reviewing new comics from the last two New Comic Book Day Wednesdays, and then we're going to tell you about our must-read picks for next week's... After that, we'll give you a sneak peek at our Patreon Extra, where the Defenders listen to our THN comic historian Jason Sachs' defense of Marvel's Secret Wars 2, and then we will pass judgment. It's all happening in this Terrigen Mist mutated episode, and it starts with review time in the cigarette. Our review pile for this episode comes from New Comic Book Days, June 1st and June 8th, and let me tell you, it is chock full of weird takes on the Wildcats, more dark crises than should probably allowed in one episode. I believe it's crises. Uh, okay. Cell phone invaders, suicidal astronauts, but it all starts with a story about a monster in the closet. Joey, take it away. Uh, you know, when you said cell phone invaders, I thought to myself, wait a minute, did I miss a comic? And I think that is a perfect metaphor or whatever for uh, the comic in question. Yes, <laughs> we'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> we will. We will get there. Um, as Matt said, I'm taking it away with The Closet Number 1 from Image Comics. It's written by James Tinian the Four, with art by Gavin Fullerton. And here's your solicit. Real quick. Tinian. That's why he calls him his like his little blog, Tiny yeah. Onion. I mean, I get it. I understand that we have always been saying it wrong because yeah. Tinian the four is just kind of funny to say. Um, but yeah, Tinian, James Tinian, uh, the fourth. It's a tale of existential familial horror by that guy that I just mentioned who wrote the Department of Truth and a book called Razor Blades, the Department of Truth. You should check that out so for good. sure. I don't know Razor Blades, though. Uh, you know, I don't either. Huh. And Gavin Fullerton, who drew Bog Bodies and a book called Bags. Now, you know that Image put out these books, uh, some of these books in question, because those are the books in all caps. Yes. So if you check out the written solicitation, the books in all caps are from Image. Yeah. Bags. That ain't no Image book. But Bags ain't no Image book. <laughs> uh, Thom as I like to call him, his name's Tom, is moving across country with his family and dragging the past along with him. His son, Jamie, is seeing monsters in the bedroom closet and will not let them go, period. End of solicit. It's so strange. Like, there was another solicit this week that was exactly the same kind of, like, abrupt. I will give them. That's exactly what happens in this comic. <laughs> so I mean, I guess. <laughs> it's not like some of the solicits were like, will they survive the... 
<laughs> like, right. Like, what? And like, I think I think that this is where it was where it's throwing me off. If this were like a Marvel solicit, it would start with Tom is moving cross country with his family, uh, blah, 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 and will not let them go, period. And then it would say a tale of existential familial right, horror right, by right. James Tiny in the fourth. Fair enough. It, but in putting that at the beginning makes the solicit sound like it's just ending in mid sentence. Yeah. As Matt said, the pretty uh, the solicit pretty much sums it all up, except that in this case, the monster is quite literal and not a metaphor. That's not a spoiler. This is obviously a horror book from the jump, even though writer James Tinian, 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 like Tinian Lannister, like Tiny Onion. Tiny on. <laughs> yes. Even though writer James Tiny in the fourth sets up a ton of character drama and development. This all happens through the voice of Tom, the husband of wife Maggie and father to son Jamie. The move is creating quite a few marital stresses that Tom is dealing with in unhealthy ways. Bringing those ways home is causing even more strife, which can't be good for young Jamie, except he's too busy being scared out of his goddamn <laughs> mind. There isn't really much more to say about the story, except that the writing is just really, really excellent. The characterization of Tom and his woes is very well done. I do hope that the rest of his family, especially the wife Maggie, gets the same care in the next couple of issues. It is just a three-issue mini. Uh, Tom is kind of a shithead, so I would prefer that he not be the only point-of-view character in the series. The marital stuff is spot on with its small fights breaking out over what seem to be trivial matters during a very stressful time. Tom is definitely not handling it well, and it's affecting the rest of the family. Uh, poor Jamie, as a small child in a family full of adults with other things to worry about, goes unheard or unbelieved when he tells his parents that there is an actual monster terrorizing him in his room. The parents seem to forget where the closet door is, but that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> the, the psychological horror that follows in the back half of the book is super tense, and the implications set up with the final few pages have the potential to be very scary. The art by Gavin Fullerton is the perfect match for this kind of slow burn, psychological, philosophical, dramatic, and also terrifying story. His characters have a relatable humanity, and his design for the little monster is truly chilling. It is gross. It's gross. Yeah. He also has a great sense of pacing, drawing out the reveal of the horror in the titular closet in a really creepy way. The closet number one is a great start to what promises to be a great little horror short story. I loved it. It's a buy it. Yeah, I don't know if Tom's a shithead, but he's definitely not handling things well. I think Tom's I mean, going through he's, a, yeah, he's going yeah, through he's, something, you know. It's he's it's typical male avoidance, yeah, right? I'm he's giving, like he's, I'm giving Tom yeah. the benefit of the doubt here. He seems like a nice guy that's just going through something poorly. But he's going through some stuff. He's not doing well with it. This was really well written in that sense where it's like you get to know a character like that in just a few pages reading yeah. about like him talking to a bartender and then you see like okay, he does have a family at home. He's got a wife, he's got a kid, you know, and there's this stuff and it's happening. The movie is stressful and everything. And like, oh, this is really well written slice of life. Oh my God, what is that horrifying thing? You know, like yeah. it just dropped on you instantly, where you turn the page and there is a thing there, and it, and you only see like half of it, and it's just this scary moment. Like, if this legit creeped me 
out. When yeah, I read it's it. gr- it's just really disgusting. The, it, the, like it's one of my uh, favorite. Disgusting isn't the right word. It's no, not no, like no. gory, but off-putting. it's very disturbing. It's yeah, off-putting. off-putting. It's off-putting. It's one of my yeah. favorite tropes when it's just like everything's normal. Everything's normal. Everything's normal. Horrifying normal. thing. You know. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, like, uh, you know what? Midsummer. <laughs> yeah, is ex- like that. Exactly. I, I, I have not seen Hereditary, which might be a better fit because it's more f- family stuff. Nah, but Hereditary's m- more Midsummer. S- Hereditary's more slow burn, but it, it like. But, but Midsummer is like that, uh, where it's just like. Yeah, we're just hanging out. Everything's cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, things aren't perfect. It's it might be a little weird. Oh my god, right. what just happened? I will say this: all of that character stuff at the beginning with Tom at the bar, with like the bartender like giving him advice about uh, the silly way to help Jamie yeah. like think that he's fighting the monster. It's fantastic. It's like, and all that could all that could all seem like padding or filler, and it's not. It's just so compelling. It's it's also paced to get to that point where something yeah. scary happens. And we are telling you that something scary is going to happen in this book. The cover lets you know there's something scary that's going to happen in this book. You won't be ready for it when it happens. This is great. Really well done. Let's move to a different slice of life story about how to deal with loss, death, <laughs> and mourning. This is yeah. Justice League. The Road to Dark Crisis, number one, from DC. It's written and drawn by a bunch of peeps. Here's your solicit. The Justice League has tragically fallen in battle, and now we see the aftermath. How does the world react to the Justice League being gone? Which heroes rise up, and which villains try to take advantage? And what dark forces are lying in wait to attack? An all-star roster of DC talent showcases a world without a Justice League and sets up the stage for next month's Dark Crisis event! Remember episode 664? We reviewed Justice League number 75, which told the story of the death of the Justice League, which would lead up to the Dark Crisis event and had nothing to do with the rest of the Bendis storyline that just ended. Were we ever so young? I know. (laughs) I won't repeat the whole thing, but we landed on JLA 75 was a weird place to tell that story, and it probably would have been better placed in an issue titled something like, oh, I don't know, maybe Justice League, The Road to Dark Crisis. I'm just spitballing here, you know? Yeah, right. Instead, we get five vignettes about the younger heroes and how they're coping with the death of the Justice League, I'm putting that in quotes, that really doesn't set up anything for the event itself. I I guess there's one thing that happens in the final story, written by Stephanie Phillips, with great art by Clayton Henry, that sets up a villain team-up. Okay, kind of interesting, and I love it when the C-listers team up and demand to be taken seriously. The Joshua Williamson-written story with Nightwing and Superboy slash Man does a nice job positioning how someone like Dick Grayson deals with the JLA deaths versus how Connor Ken is kind of freaking out. It's a nice story with weird art by Dan Jurgens, but I don't need that story. It's, look, it's bad art. It's I'm bad. telling you. It's I'm bad. just going to tell you. It's nice. some of the worst Dan Jurgens art I've ever seen. It's bad. But I don't. And I love Dan Jurgens. I don't need that same story to be rehashed two more times with different characters, even when the art is solid. There's yeah. a pariah story here, too, which I guess connects us to the classic crisis story and does set up something we see in Dark Crisis. No spoilers. All I mean, in all, pari- the pariah story sets up Dark Crisis, period. That's that's the meat of the book. I mean, is it? Okay, so that's where we're doing Like, here. the announcement, like, they, the announcement of the main villain behind Dark Crisis, is the, like, they already came out and said who's the villain. Okay, okay. So, like, so the, no pariah, spoiler. the pariah story. Pariah is the bad guy. 
Yeah, Pariah is the villain of Dark Crisis, the ultimate puppet master, and his story in this issue kind of sets the stage for Dark Crisis number one. Okay, all in all, there's not a whole lot to see here, and really no major setup, just a few stories, none of which were bad, but certainly not required reading for your Dark Crisis experience. Now, no. had you killed the Justice League here, I might be singing a different tune, but instead, this comic gets a skimmit. Yeah, uh, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. an anthology. It's fine. It's a skim it from me. Yeah. Like, I understand what you're saying. Like, uh, Justice League 75, we said at the t- at the time, I think it should have been like Dark Crisis Zero or whatever. Yeah. I, I, I maintain that. But like, the big two are going to big two. You're going to get a cash grab one shot that's just like... Stories about characters dealing with right. stuff, and it's going to be mediocre. And this was exactly that. Uh, I loved the writing of the Joshua Williams story. Loved yeah, that was clever. I love Dan Jurgens. I am a lifelong fan. I am an apologist. I always have Dan Jurgens' back. This story looks like they came to him and said, "Dan, our artist dropped out. You've got one day right to draw this ten-page story." And he was like, "I got it." I'm on it. It's not good. No. The there's art like a, is bad. There's a scene where Superboy is like punching or Superboy man. I'm just going to call him. He's Superman. He's, he's, he's Superman. He's like punching someone yeah. like that night that Batman, the other Batman was chasing. And he's in such a position that there is no way that Superboy is not going directly into the ground and pushing that person into the ground with him. Into the earth. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's no, it's right. Like, so that guy's dead. <laughs> it's, it's. It's bad. The art is bad. The writing is great. Um, The rest of the stories, eh, you know, whatever. You know, I love it. I love legacy characters and I'm totally cool with DC being like, look, now the original legacy characters have to usher the younger, like the next next generation uh, through this trauma. And that's fun. Did I need an anthology about it that is mostly mediocre filler? No. When I'm grieving over the loss of a loved one, the only thing that can get me through it is Hulk-like boobs. You got that right. Don't forget alien dicks. <laughs> alien dicks. Thank God for the phalanx one-shot from Image Comics. <laughs> Written and drawn by Jonathan Luna. Here is your solicit. Inspired since 1992 by the series that launched Image Comics, writer-artist Jonathan Luna creates an homage to honor its 30th anniversary with the phalanx. Spur, a mercenary in modern-day Los Angeles, chases a mysterious villain and finds herself going through a portal and running into a famous superhero team. They realize they have a common goal, period. Yeah. End of solicit. Now, again, that's kind of exactly what happens. It is, but it's like James Kahn has written all these solicits because he signs (laughs) off everything on Twitter as end of tweet. So here, one thing that I want to point out, we both... At first, thought they were talking about young blood, but then we read this and they were like, "This is not it's young blood. This is definitely I, and you know, wildcats." And the failing is on my part. I, I identified it online as young blood. Uh, and Brian Domingos, who is the uh, Ziggurat's foremost uh, Wildstorm expert, sorry, Matt Baum, uh, correctly I'll, I'll give it said, any day of the week." <laughs> it is uh, correctly said. It is it's Wildcats, not Young Blood, and yeah. I was shamed. Uh, so yeah, it is really more of a Young Blood homage. Certainly not an nope. homage to it's really more oh, of a Wildcats it, homage. You sorry, say. yes, <laughs> I can't. I keep doing it. I know it, it's certainly more of a Wildcats homage, and definitely not like 
a celebration of all things original image because no. there's nothing about Spawn. No. There's nothing about uh, Cyberforce. There's nothing about friggin' Wetworks. There is a character that's sort of like Savage Dragon. We're going to get there. But even the story setup, like it, there's nothing inherently Wildcats about how the story Oh, yeah, there's like a Daemonite stand in. Yeah, we're going to get there. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, now, I have enjoyed work by the Luna Brothers in the past. Uh, the solicit states uh, they've uh, – Jonathan, though the, he did break up with his brother, uh, did work uh, like Alex and Ada, which is good, <laughs> so and 2000 and XX, uh, which I didn't read. Uh, so I was excited for what I hoped would be a loving homage to the early days of Image Comics. Instead, it's more like a slavish recreation of the Image founder's worst excesses. Luna is a talented artist, but his designs for the Phalanx team members are generic and uninteresting, especially the character from the future or from the present day, who is just wearing a black jumpsuit and then covered in bullet bandoliers. Yeah. That's it. It's not even a costume. No. Those might be the same, uh, like generic and uninteresting might be the same thing. Sorry about that. Considering that this is a one shot, the story has zero stakes, or maybe it's that it does have stakes, but they don't matter because nothing that happens in this issue will be followed up on. The writing is juvenile and not in a fun way. There's a place for the kind of irreverent, puerile dialogue that Luna delivers here. But in this comic, it comes off as unnecessarily immature. Characters drop F-bombs for no reason. Yeah. It's a character. It's just like, you know, yeah. And in like the dumbest ways. Yeah. There's a character that looks like a white female version of the Savage Dragon, but she also hulks out, I think she's supposed which to be causes Maul. her. What? She's supposed to be like Maul. I guess she's supposed to be like Maul, but she's got a fin on her head like Savage Dragon. She even has the same powers as Maul, though. Essentially, yeah, you're, yeah. You know, you're right. I'll call her. We'll call her more like a mall, but she does have a savage dragon fin. This causes her costume to shred, which exposes her naked breasts, which she does not cover when she goes into action. Just like all of your favorite image comic superheroes from 1992. Sure. This is a comic that feels like it was written by a 13 year old boy, which might be the place that the target audience was in when the image was created. But the phalanx fails to understand that those early image comics didn't have this kind of gratuitous content. Right. It, it goes too far. And I'm not approved by any means. But like if you're celebrating image comics like Image United, say what you will about Image United and how late it was and how nobody could get their part of the book out on time. That was a celebration of image. Sure. This is just like I'm riffing on image. But titty, 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 titty. Yeah, like, it's like, I, which leads me to no. be like, do you remember what it was like? Because yeah, it no. wasn't like this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, you might have to, you're going to have to bleep out that whole thing. And yeah, I, apologize. I appreciate that. Thanks. And while there is a place for that kind of gratuitous content too, this wasn't it. Uh, I had high hopes for the Phalanx one shot, but it was a slog to read that missed the mark with its homage. Yes, it's over the top. But in all the wrong ways, this is a leave it. Yeah, for me. Th this is puzzling because you can see like he was kind of going for a thing, but it's almost like he did not understand the thing that he was going for. Therefore, right. the homage does not work at all. You know, I, I don't know. I I did not like this. It was not well written. I didn't find it especially well drawn either. But then again, I mean, it looked exactly like everything Jonathan Luna has ever drawn. I I don't disagree, but I don't think he should be doing a lot of superhero stuff like this. The design know? work was bad. Yeah. And it yeah. just nothing worked. I'm a huge Wildcats fan, as you know, and nothing about this served as a good homage or even a good comic. This is a leave it. Yeah. Oh, we're heroes, not zeros. Oh, 
talk about another comic book trying to be clever this week. New Think, number one of five from AWA. It was $3.99. It's written by novelist Greg Hurwitz with art by Mike Diodato. Here is your solicit. This Black Mirror-style anthology examines the rapid proliferation of technology, the cultural and political polarization of the country, and the technocrats that have driven us to such extremes of thought that we need to present the present as something futuristic. Each of the five issues is a standalone tale with its own art team. Okay. In the first of... Yeah. In the first of the five New Think Stories novelist, Greg Hurwitz reimagines the rise of computer technology as an invasion that started innocent at first, but ends with the enslavement of humanity. The computers and cell phones called screens here don't actually take over or achieve sentience and send Terminators to kill humanity. That might be more interesting. No, here, Hurwitz and Diodato just sort of reframe the rise of the first computers and then cell phones as insidious alien invasion force that takes over by demanding our attention. Diodato goes almost full Fumetti here, using affected photographs, but again, it's just really people looking at computers in their phones, which isn't particularly exciting. <laughs> nope. The whole thing comes off as a very heavy-handed commentary on people staring at screens too much. Yeah, screen addiction. Yep. Yeah. Now, before mm -hmm. they refer to this as similar to Black Mirror, I would suggest they watch a few episodes because Black Mirror is at least <laughs> interesting. I am giving this uh, black. Yeah, Black uh, Mirror has something to say that's not the thing we've all right. already all been saying. I'm giving this a skim it. Yeah. Because there's nothing inherently wrong, and I guess it's clever, but I'm not going to remember this after what it's, I'm talking about. It's it. not. It's not very clever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a skimmit for me, not because it's bad, but yeah. Look, maybe I'm in a salty mood. I don't know why I had a bad day at work. Uh, and but yeah, I, I'm calling it like I see it. It's not clever. No. He he's like we get it. Screen addiction's bad. Sure. Like it's yeah. I understand. All the way up to and including like the prolific use of uh, corporate brands throughout the story that all have terrible pun names. Yeah, like like just, uh, just, instead of Best Buy, it's Worst, worst Buy. buy yeah. Oh, uh, shit. They're, like, oh, they're uh, going like, right at Best Buy, bro. <laughs> yeah, like Ama, Amazon, you yeah. know. It's, I think one of them even had like some, some sort of poop reference in the name. It's like, yeah, okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, so yeah, it's a skim it. It's not very clever. Yeah. I thought the art was decent. I, like Mike Diodato when he's doing this kind of thing, I kind of like. See, I don't. Um, I don't like this Diodato. This it's a little too fumetti for me. Like, uh, I mean, I understand. Uh, so Greg Hurwitz, uh, he has written a lot of comics, which I guess I kind of black blanked out. Um, he wrote the Vengeance of Moon Knight. Uh, oh, okay. which I think was drawn by Jerome Pena. He wrote he wrote the one where they cut off where he cut off Bushmaster's face. No, no, no. That was Danny Houston or whatever. Uh, oh, that's John a different guy. Hudson. Different right. Hudson is who you're talking about. Yeah, but uh, he wrote. Yeah, he wrote some issues of uh, of the Punisher. He wrote uh, a, a two. Fool killer miniseries. He also wrote the remake of the TV show V, which I defy you to prove existed. Yeah. Don't don't actually do it. I don't want to know. It's not like but a Mandela like, effect I'm, thing. I'm telling like, you right now. I'm telling you right now, that show did not exist. <laughs> Jumping forward to this week, today, the 8th of June. 
I'll be reviewing The Ward, number one from Dark Horse, written by Kavan Scott or Kevin Scott. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. I'll bet it's Kavan. I think it's Kavan. Right. With art by Anders Ponce or Ponce or Ponche. Or Andres. I don't know how any of that's pronounced. (laughs) Or Andres. I think it's Anders, but I don't know. Here's your solicit. From the writer of Star Wars, The High Republic comes an intense medical drama brimming with fairies, trolls, and real human pathos. St. Lilith is a secret hospital for supernatural creatures. The personnel are overworked and the facility is underfunded. It's a place and a life. Dr. Nat Reeves thought she left behind until a wounded woman with a tail appears on her doorstep. Imagine the high intensity medical drama of ER plus the folklorish ghosts and goblins of Supernatural and you have the ward. The hook had me right off the bat. I love a good procedural, whether it's medical or detective or whatever. I love it. And I'm a huge fan of the show Supernatural. So this book really it's just had it hooks me right away. Uh, it shines when it gets to St. Lilith, the hospital that caters to things that go bump in the night. The action, again, as the solicit said, centers around Nat Reeves, a doctor who left the profession after an unspecified tragedy. I'm sure we'll hear more about that in issues to come. But just like poor Al Pacino, just when she thought she was out, they pulled her back in. Kavan Scott does a great job setting up the rules and lore of this world. Secrecy is key. Iron is a no-no, but some Minotaurs just want to watch the world burn. And the secrecy policy is going to be put to the test if the clues dropped in this issue are any indication. I'm interested in finding out more about Nat's tragic backstory. I love all of the primary medical characters like the doctor that can split herself into multiples. Yeah. And the ghostly attending physician with no face. She was my favorite. (laughs) You take a creature's vitals with a stethoscope that's got some kind of crystal wedged into the business end. I love that kind of detail. And this comic is full of it. The art by the art and response. Uh, No, I got it. The art by Anders Ponce is good, though it does have some awkward faces here and there. Overall, though, I thought it was really nice with clear storytelling, excellent character and creature designs, and very nice coloring that complements the line art. The Ward number one had me from the description. It absolutely didn't disappoint. I'm really looking forward to the rest of this miniseries. This gets a buy it from me. I really liked it. Yeah. Kevin Scott is a creator that I feel like I haven't heard a lot about recently, but it's because he was doing some Star Wars stuff that I just really wasn't reading. He did some great DC stuff, uh, that Black Adam miniseries. He worked on Aquaman for a little bit. Like the guy is really good and I like him yeah. a lot. And this is a fun idea that kind of just writes itself. Like sometimes you can come up with a plot. And like a shtick mm-hmm. that's just so good that you can see it just fly it, out it, of yeah. the creator. You know, it, you know, it's kind of like it's the kind of idea where you're surprised that no one's done it before. Right. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, like, obviously, like this makes perfect sense. Yeah. And you can see the creator having fun with it as well. And this can go anywhere that from here, mm-hmm. this can go anywhere. And I'm totally yeah. into it. It's the kind of thing where if you're going to adapt it, do a cool cartoon. We don't need to see this done, you know, like with CG monsters and shit like that. Do it as a cartoon, but I'm, and I'm totally in loved it. I'm giving it a buy. I see. And I want it to be a spinoff of supernatural. <laughs> so make it a spinoff. Why would you force this into the supernatural world? You don't it need doesn't to do have, like, you don't have to have <laughs> Sam and Dean show up. I'm saying like, look, it's in a world where folklore monsters are real. Well, we're getting a supernatural prequel. So Sorry, yeah, I know. Buddy. Narrated by Jensen Ackles. 
Let's move from the lighthearted world of Monster Hospital to the kind of bleak future of uh, it. it one, one criticism, it should have been called Monster Hospital. <laughs> right. The kind of bleak future of Astronaut Down, number one, from Aftershock. It's four ninety nine. It's written by James Patrick with art by Ruben, or maybe Rubin. Here's your solicit. James Patrick, no relation. Douglas Spitzer wants to be one of the, quote, astronauts selected for a crucial mission Pulitzer. And just like the astronauts like Buzz Aldrin and Sally Ride, Douglas is brave, adaptable, and self-sacrificing. He's one of the program's best candidates. But if he qualifies, Douglas won't be traveling through space. He'll be launched into alternate realities on a desperate mission to save Earth from a horrific crisis that has our world on the brink of extinction. Unfortunately, it's a mission where everything will go wrong, where Douglas's training and very humanity will be put to the test and where a deep-seated secret could sabotage everything. Sabotage. Writer James Patrick, who worked on Kaiju Store and Campisi, The Dragon Incident, and artist Rubin, who worked on Search for Who, that's H-U, lead us on a perilous undertaking to save the planet from total destruction. Patrick has been a writer we've both enjoyed on this show and his sort of giant monster mashup genre that he seems to be doing regularly. This is a departure. He's going full sci-fi and telling a story that will feel all too familiar to anyone who's lived through the current COVID pandemic. The script jumps through time following a group of quote unquote astronauts who are trying literally to travel time to stop the collapse of society and cleverly the story unfolds while introducing us to a group to the group of heroic volunteers that are basically on a suicide mission. Rubin's art is exceptional in its realism, but it gets even more impressive when he's drawing the capsules and tech used by the agency that's sending the astronauts on their journey. He gives the book a cinematic feel that keeps even the talking head scene very interesting. Patrick has a timing to his scripts that's just hard to come by. While this first issue is anything but action-packed, it's riveting as the story unfolds, and the weird, shocking reveal to the state of the world is very cool. Patrick is a rising star to watch, and he seems to have a talent for working with new artists that are just as exciting. Fans of heady sci-fi like Children of Men and Looper are going to love the world being built an astronaut down. I'm giving this a buy it. This was uh, this was really great. I didn't know anything about it when I picked it up. I had not read the solicit. I don't uh, like. I know the name's James Patrick, James Patrick, because we've read a lot of stuff that he's written that we loved. That's the only reason I picked um, it. I want to say I was like, that doesn't sound funny. Let's check that one yeah. out. Uh, but like, I didn't. I went in t- totally cold. It, it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a buy it for me. Yeah, and the art is great. So yeah. You've been waiting. It's time for the main event. Let's tear this Band-Aid off. Here we go. Let's do it, baby. <laughs> it's, it's Dark a- Crisis number one from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, with art by Daniel Sampier. Here is your solicit. Crisis on Infinite Earths, Infinite Crisis, Final Crisis, and now dot, 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 Dark Crisis. See, I think you should do that again, but get louder every time you say one. That's okay. My, I already have enough trouble with my microphone. <laughs> the epic event years in the making is finally here. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and the rest of the Justice League are deed. The remaining heroes are left to protect the world from an onslaught of violent attacks by DC's greatest villains. Can the legacy heroes step out of the shadows of the classic heroes to form a new Justice League? And will that be enough to stop a darkness greater than anything they've ever faced from destroying everything? Probably. 
Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Look, I, I mean, we've, we've been this with like they already rattled off five things we've already gone through. Right. So we already know this. Uh, don't miss the first. Don't miss out on the first issue of the blockbuster event of the summer. Earth's greatest heroes indeed are now deed. But not everyone is so quick to believe it. Spoilers. No, duh. But for all intents and purposes, the Justice League is no more. And villains all over the world and beyond are quick to take advantage. What else is the son of Kal-El to do but form a brand new Justice League from the ashes of the old? Writer Joshua Williamson really nails all of the character beats in this issue, and there are a lot of them. He knows these heroes inside and out, and this crossover really gives him a chance to flex those muscles. The stakes in this first issue are relatively low for a DC crisis, but that doesn't mean that they aren't serious. Things aren't looking good for some fan favorites, I'll tell you that much, but we'll see what happens. When we finally look away from the Earthbound threats, we get a sense of the true threat to the multiverse or the omniverse or whatever the hell we're worried about these days, including a hint about the true fates of the Justice League. Again, spoilers, no duh. The art by Daniel Sampier is practically flawless. He handles the presence of literally dozens of characters without missing a beat. There's a page no- where he draws like 50 villains <laughs> and they all that, look great. That, yeah, there's a like, look, uh, the, here's a... The, Slight spoiler, the villains are on the rampage and there is a double page spread where dozens of villains are attacking Titans towers and it's gorgeous. Yeah, it looks incredible. Nothing feels too packed, though. The storytelling is clear and panels have a chance to breathe when they need to. I don't normally notice lettering unless it's either bad or unique. And Tom Napolitano's work here is definitely the latter. Yeah. His sound effects are great. And I especially loved the huge headlines. Yeah. That announced each change of location. Like, that was fun. It's, so it would go from, you know, Gotham City to New York. And then there'd be like literally a background filling semi-transparent headline that said new york <laughs> i loved it right also the dialogue uh, the 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 specific uh, the dialogue in the dialogue balloons is actually a little bigger than you might be used to which i thought was also kind of unique i guess i didn't notice that yeah while i'm not too sold on this new justice league uh some um, some members do feel like a corporate mandate <laughs> you know the one <laughs> Who would that be? <laughs> you know the one. Oh, Blue Beetle. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, right. Blue Beetle. Yes. Yeah, definitely Blue Beetle. Uh, Both Blue Beetles. <laughs> you can you can just you can pick which one. Yeah, you can pick which one you think it is. Uh, it definitely puts some unlikely characters in the spotlight, which I did enjoy. By the time we were nearing the end of the Infinite Frontier era, I was a bit exhausted by it all. It's like Earth this, Earth that, Justice League Incarnate, yeah. the Omniverse. The, it's like. It's a lot. It's a lot to juggle. Joshua Williamson handled it all with aplomb. Dark Crisis number one has recharged my excitement. I can't wait for more. Like everything he's been building to is starting to pay off. And it's like, I feel like Joshua Williamson has been in the background. We've talked about this before, how Joshua Williamson is this writer that seems to be everywhere at DC. And there's a reason for that. Because he is building something and yeah. like he is like an architect of what's happening at DC. And now he's unveiled the his masterpiece. And it's it's great. Definitely. It's a huge buy it. I love Dark Crisis, number one. I thought it was wonderful. We joked about it a bit. Like when he's writing Batman, he's writing Deathstroke, he's writing this, he's writing that. And like he was everywhere. Yeah. Well, now it makes sense. 
he was planting seeds everywhere. Uh, yeah, for this wheels story. within wheels, baby. And he was do he was on that Hickman shit totally. And well, maybe not that deep. <laughs> well, not that deep. <laughs> I, I would argue he's going for more of a summer blockbuster sort of Armageddon kind of. Yeah, feel, I mean, where, not, like we're let's not, not say let's, we're not gonna say Michael Bay either. Let's just say you know I will say yeah, Michael Bay a, 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 good, me, a good a good summer blockbuster. Let me finish my metaphor here. I will say Michael. Oh, Bay all right, because he's not treading any new ground. We're doing another big DC crisis event. Everybody comes together. And this one just happens to have like a lot of really good character. It's really well, it's well written. It's just fun. It's not going to break any new boundaries. We, know we don't know that. Well, it might. That's fair. But it doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere. Where we're not expecting the Justice League will probably be back in the end. I'm saying we'll yeah, end no, up where we were, of course. But as long as that ride is fun. As long as that ride is fun, I yeah, don't, exactly. I'm, I will look past the fact that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that we send oil drillers to an asteroid, you know, to drill into it and blow it up. And then like, you know, one man, nobody man. knows drilling like those guys, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nobody knows drilling like those I'm guys. I'm willing to go along for the ride as long as that ride is fun. And this one looks like it's going to be a lot of fun for a change. Yeah. I'm giving this a buy it. It, it really surprised me. Williamson, like you said, has sort of revitalized my feelings for this current DCU that was really, really getting muddied. It was, so, it was like, just, it was just so mired down with like, well, wait a minute. I thought they were doing generations. I thought they were right. doing 5G, but they canceled 5G, and now it's Infinite Frontier. What's going on? It, like, it's been so confusing yeah. and like with, without any real sense of direction. Right. And now it's like, oh. And if this boils everything down. And when we're done, we go, okay, here's where we're at. Here's where we're at. You guys yeah. feel good about that? And I can go, yeah, I know what's going on. I'm, that's a win. I'm giving yeah. this a bye. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Well, not the entire Justice League is dead. It turns out Aquaman is still around in the black label verse, I guess. Is and this Aquaman, Aquaman even in the Justice League? I don't we don't know. know. <laughs> but this is Aquaman Andromeda, book one from DC's black label imprint. It is $6.99 because it's pretty thick. It's written by Ram V with art by Christian Ward. You may not have known that this book even came out because DC didn't tell anybody it was coming for some reason. So, surprise! Here's your solicit. Deep in the Pacific Ocean, at the farthest possible distance from any land, sits Point Nemo, the spaceship graveyard. Since the dawn of the space race, the nations of the world have sent their crafts there on splashdown to sink beneath the silent seas, but there is something else at Point Nemo. A structure never made by man, and that structure seems to be waking up! Now, I read this whole thing last week, so you get the idea, all right? I will tell you this at the end of the solicit. Bringing a bracing cosmic horror sensibility to the world of Aquaman, rising superstars, Ram V, who worked on Venom, props to DC for giving, you know, props where they're due for the good Marvel stuff that he did. The, yeah. the Swamp Thing and Christian Ward, who worked on Thor and Invisible Kingdom, team up to put Arthur Curry through an exercise in psychological terror that could break the will of even a king. Aquaman is a character I used to make fun of, like a lot of people, but over the years, I've learned to appreciate him. The one thing that I have never cared about is all the Atlantis baggage that comes along with him. The good news is... Ram V seems to understand this and has steered the king of the seas to the furthest point from his royal Atlantean roots and towards cosmic horror. The story plays on the unknown depths of the sea and with the help of Ward on art gives the ocean a cosmic feel of its own. The art and colors in this book 
are both handled by Ward, and they come together for a sublime experience. He creates this otherworldly feeling in the ocean depths that when combined with the bright colored lighting that highlights the tight quarters in the submarine perfectly complement each other. It also drives home the theme. The humans here are visitors to these depths. Aquaman is the king of the ocean. Both of them are about to encounter something they have never seen and does not belong here. I cannot say enough about Ward's beautiful art, but Ram's script is equally great. He shows readers on Aquaman that they will recognize. He also borrows from the movies a bit to show how the character stands alone both on land and the sea. Aquaman Andromeda is a fantastic use of both the character of Aquaman and the Black Label imprint, and it even made me care about a stupid villain like Black Manta. I just have to ask, why? Is DC not promoting this book? I'm giving it a buy it. It was so good. You know, I feel like I remember when it was announced and that was the last time I heard about it until we actually got to see it. Yeah, we're talking like six months ago. They're like, and, it's coming. And, and that's, that's the last you'll hear of that. <laughs> and that's bad. Yeah. Uh, like that's that's not great. So, you know, uh, do better. Uh, I, yeah, I thought this was really good. I, I liked it very, very much. Ram V, yeah, obviously a, 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 an up-and-comer that we uh, can't get enough of. Uh, Christian Ward has always been, I, I think he's an alien from another planet, uh, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. Um, he is not of, of this earth, and his art uh, matches that. Yeah, it's um, crazy. Just it, uh, amazing. It, yeah, it's 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 really something else. Um, but yeah, like even if like even if you read the book and you're like, eh, the story is whatever, if... if you cannot deny that this comic book is not absolutely drop dead gorgeous. Yeah. It is, it is, it's just freaking beautiful in every way. I loved it. It is uh, a huge buy it. I really enjoyed yeah, it. It's one of the most interesting things they've done with Aquaman for a long time, quite honestly. Yeah, fresh easy. Yeah. I said fresh easy. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're fired. That's we, look, I'm afraid we have to let you go. This isn't. I'm a great uncle now. I use outdated slang. I tell dad jokes. It's how it, a garage, so. <laughs> so I apologize. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all of the books we discussed and hit us up in the new comics channel of our Discord. We call it the Ziggurat Worldwide to give us your thoughts. Matt, before we shed our inhuman review powers, we need to pick one of these comics that stood out to join the THN permanent collection. If the nerds are buying only one, which one is it? Uh, for me, it's Aquaman and Drama. I just this book yeah. took me aside, just shocked me. And it, like, I really liked Dark Crisis. It was fun, but it's like I've been there. I know what we're getting into. It's gonna be a good time. Whatever. I think I think Aquaman and Drama stood out as something that I really hadn't read starring this character with this kind of arc before. It just took me by surprise. You know what? I'm going to give it to the ward number one. Fair enough. Which I think is an unlikely choice. Uh, I loved Dark Crisis, but you are right. We have been through many crises before, and this one will go down you know, similar or, you know, like no shade. It's, it's a, it's a corporate event, right? It, there's only going to be so much ground. It breaks. It might be a fun ride. I might love every minute of it, but the ward 
is just like everything I love outside of superheroes. It is folklore and procedural drama. I love it. Fair it's enough. so good. Joe, I kind of liked being inhuman for a minute there, but I gotta say, as an outsider, that is one long-winded, boring group that is always fighting amongst themselves. What do you say we retire to the teach-in Sanctum Sanctorum, where we can hook up to the dialysis machine that I bought on Craigslist and filter this Terrigen mist out of our blood system while we discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday, June 15th. I scoured the internet to see if there was something that cured Terrigen mist, and I know there's a story I'm forgetting. Could not find it. I think the answer might be, like, a person. Like a, there's a character that can take that can turn in humans into I mean, maybe and not not like a device or a procedure. Um, I'm sure the dialysis machine will work though. What could go wrong? Yeah. Uh, and you know what? For a group ruled by a guy that can't talk out loud, it sh- there's sure a lot of speeches. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, my pick for next week and apologies to Matt Bomb for sneaking in before him and picking it. Do a power bomb number one. From Image Comics, it's written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson. And really, that should be all I have to say. Yeah, done. Uh, Here's your solicit, though. The creator of Murder Falcon and Wonder Woman Dead Earth is launching a brand new limited series. Lona Steel Rose, Lana Steel Rose, wants to be a pro wrestler, but she's living under the shadow of her mother. The best to ever do it. Everything changes when a wrestling-obsessed necromancer asks her to join the greatest pro wrestling tournament of all time, which is also the most dangerous. It's The Wrestler meets Dragon Ball Z in a tale where the competitors get more than they ever bargained for. Look, it's about wrestling, and you might be saying to yourself, Joe Patrick, you don't really care about wrestling, and Nor do you understand it at all. So no, I don't. Uh, well, I mean, I do. I used to watch wrestling in the eighties and nineties, in the early nineties. Like I get it. it. That means you were a kid and you watched it sometimes. So. No, I understand it, Matt. Yeah. I understand it. I, what are you doing? What I do understand is Daniel Warren Johnson, and I will follow that man through the gates of hell if he's drawing it. You know, because <laughs> so. that's the thing here, and it's like, and I'm not saying I'm mad that you took this, but I will say, wrestling and Dragon Ball Z, two things that Matt Bomb loves that Joe Patrick has no love for whatsoever. You know what? You get to read and review it too. So win-win. Fair enough. My pick for next week is Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty. Number one, it is $4.99. It's from Marvel. It is written by my current kind of like most exciting writing tag team, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing with art by Carmen Carnero. Yes. I loved that Kang series. They did so much. It's true. You did. Here's your solicit. The shield isn't what you think. It's not your symbol. It's theirs. The shield is one of the most iconic images in the world. It's a great line from Captain America Zero. It stands for hope, justice, and the protection of the innocent. It also holds a secret undiscovered until now. That will change the way Steve Rogers views the 20th century and how he chooses to fight in the 21st. Nothing is what it appears in this game-changing Captain America run by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, who worked on Kang the Conqueror. I just talked about that. And Stormbreaker, Carmen Carnero. We're still doing that, huh? Works on Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, and Star. Carmen Carnero is a total badass. And I told you, I will not listen to disrespect of Stormbreakers in this ziggurat, all right? You're right. I'm sorry. You're right. Um, 
So there's a secret about the shield. So are we talking like a national treasure? Nicholas Cage is going to show up and try to steal a kind of secret or a Dan Brown. Tom Hanks is going to show up and like make us think that Jesus had babies kind of secret. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know where they're going to go with this, but I trust them based on. Why can't I remember the name of that dumb book? The Da Vinci Code? The Da Vinci Code. God, thank wow, you. Wow, you couldn't remember that. Huh. I, I, I couldn't play. I was th- in my head. It was Dante's Inferno, but it's not Dante's Inferno. Yeah, I think we're going to get some like answers to some stuff that we just talked about in our oh, Adam- about adamantium, adamantium about and vibranium the, yeah, and what happens when they have Professor Miles McLean. Yeah, I think we're going to get something along those lines. Which, Myron, I'm sorry. His name is Myron, not Miles. I'm in. Let's do it. For sure. The THN trade of the week for June 15th goes to Midnighter, the complete collection trade paperback from DC written by Steve Orlando with art by Akko and various. It's $39.99. Here's your solicit art by Akko, Fernando Blanco and others from glad nominated writer, Steve Orlando, just in time for pride. I see <laughs> something that needs to be sung art by Akko, Fernando Blanco from the glad nominated writer, Steve Orlando. <laughs> Too good. Damn it. That's like right out of the producer. I know. Come on. It's like, well, it's more like Oklahoma, probably. (laughs) Yeah, more like Oklahoma. Yeah, there's a Rodgers and Hammerstein thing, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Come the action-packed adventures of Midnighter, the hero who can predict your every move. This volume collects all 12 issues of the Vigilante's 2015 series, as well as his reunion with his ex Apollo in the Midnighter and Apollo miniseries, where Midnighter goes to hell to rescue his partner. Plus stories from DC Cybernetic Summer and DC Pride 2021. Now, I will grant you this. Uh, recent Midnighter appearances have not really set the world on fire. Nah. Um, but that Steve Orlando stuff drawn by Akko. It was fun. This It is fun. It was it's fun. very fun. Definitely. And uh, yeah, $39.99 for all that content. Absolutely worth checking out. Uh, Akko. Or Akko, Akko, who knows, man? He's Akko. He's Akko to us. Acho? He's Akko to us. Yeah, he's Akko to us. Uh, is a tremendous artist. Yeah. Fernando Blanco, also a tremendous oh, artist. Yeah. Others, I love their work. I love some of them. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's the, please check it out. Midnighter. It's good fun. You can find links to these picks in our show notes, and we always post our must-read picks on our Discord, on the Twitters, and the Facebook every Wednesday, so you can see if we know what we're talking about when we pick comics, or maybe make fun of us, because, you know, maybe we picked something like the Phalanx last week, and you're like, this is gross, I don't want to read this. Hey! I'm just saying, just throwing that out there. But, let us know what you thought of our picks. Joe Patrick, if you were going to do so, where's a good place to do that? Discord! Yes, absolutely. You got called out for your Phalanx pick on our Discord. I did. Look, (laughs) sometimes the pick of the week is just things that I'm fascinated to to find out more about, okay? They can't all be winners. Right, and we don't know. We're calling our shot. That's how it works. We're calling our shot. That's what the pick of the week is. It's not like, hey, this is guaranteed to be good. If you want to prove your love to THN, you can always do so by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash twoheadednerd. And for as little as $1 per month, you get access to our THN Extra segments. We like to give you non-paying listeners no shame. You are all beloved in our eyes. But we like to give everyone a taste. So here's a preview of this week's Extra 
The Defenders, where a listener contacts us and defends an infamous comic story, character, or comic adaptation that they feel is just misunderstood. Finally, the Defenders segment returns to a THN Extra. Now, how does it work, you're asking? I'll tell you. One lucky listener typically comes to us, uses our contact form, or perhaps they hit us up on Discord. Maybe they send us an email. There's all kinds of ways to get hold of us. The point being, they have some unpopular feelings, we'll say, for an infamous storyline or character or perhaps comic book adaptation. And they will act as the lawyer for their client that they feel was wrongly convicted of being complete garbage. And they will plead this case in a bench trial in front of us, the two-headed tribunal. That's Joe, by the way, just in case, you know, you know. Today on The Defenders, THN historian Jason Sachs will be playing legal counsel for a controversial storyline. Court is now in session. Mr. Sachs, your opening arguments, please. All right, so I want to ask, this is Jason Sachs. All right, so I want to answer the question of the week. Um, best comic book sequel. So you're going to think I'm insane. Best comic book sequel, Secret Wars 2. Like, if you look at Secret Wars 2, Secret Wars, okay, it's great for what it is, but, you know, that's the greatest comic ever. Like, it's got the cool costume and it's got the, everyone identifying each other um, in every page. And it's just like this kind of cold, soulless kind of toy advertisement. Secret Wars 2 is this bizarre, psychotronic exploration of. Jim Shooter's brain and the way he saw the world and like his enemies and the people he likes and his attempt to figure out like his place in the world and his uh, weird obsessions with the people who did done him wrong and his strange relationships to women. And like, it's just this bizarrely amazing thing about like, basically Frank Miller seeing himself as this God who's trying to figure out what it means to be a mere mortal living in a world with everyone else who is lost and confused and all your powers and all your abilities still make you feel lost. It's kind of this actually kind of sad, sort of weirdly pathetic story about a guy who just can't relate to other people because he kind of thinks of himself as amazing as like this godlike figure. And then, you know, we know two years later he was gone and people were dancing on his grave, so to speak. Uh, so secret wars too. Secretly great. Don't want to reread it, but it is secretly great. Thanks, guys. Later. Bye. All right. Okay. Let's set uh, this so up he, first. He, he, accident, he accidentally said Frank Miller at some point during the call. <laughs> he did, which uh, I which like. <laughs> we, we, will, we will allow because Jason Sachs has so much comic book knowledge swirling around in his head that it's bound to get mixed up from time to time. So let's just set up Secret Wars 2 for everyone real quick. I did a little research. Okay, please. Found yes. a little history. Secret Wars 2. I'm excited about it. The year after Secret Wars 1 from 1985 to 1986. This was a rush job because the first Secret Wars was so huge. It, it Secret was War, like Secret Wars massive. 1 as Jason as Jason briefly mentioned was a marketing ploy. Totally. So like it's okay if you love it. It's it's fine and sure. dandy. But the existence of Secret Wars was purely be- to sell toys. That's it. Absolutely. So, so 
Secret Wars 2 was written by Jim Shooter with art by Al Milgram and inks by Steve Lealoha. It was a nine-issue series. Uh, occasional guest inks by Joe Rubenstein, which is why the oh. issues sometimes look totally different. Okay. It was a <laughs> nine-issue series, but there were more than 45 tie-in issues. This was the first event Marvel actually had tie-in issues. 45. <laughs> Even a Secret Wars 2 logo would appear on the cover of That's the tie-in comics. I remember it, yeah. And DC would do something similar one year later with Crisis. So, here's your mm. first event with Crisis comic book tie-ins. Crisis also started in 85, but yes, uh, but yeah, it, uh, Crisis did the, they did the exact same thing. Yeah, no one had done that before. It's crazy. See, yeah, it's it's weird to think, right? Like, the, where, you, where you find out about, like, comic book firsts, like, the very first ever. Right miniseries, I believe, is Hercules, Prince of Power. That is correct. Editors note that is incorrect. The first miniseries was actually World of Krypton, published by DC in 1979. Which came out in, like, the 80s. Yeah, like 1984. And, like, were, and, and nobody, like, but, no, 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 the first one. Yeah, the I first, like I'm talking about the first one, not the one where he goes into space. Oh, so oh, this was okay. prior to this was like 1980. Yeah, 80, but 81. No, or, you know what? Maybe it was Contest of Champions. Regardless, no one had ever thought. You know what? What if we just do a short story? Right. <laughs> and it's like it's weird. And so yeah, this is the first actual event with tie-ins. I like, think it becomes real, very apparent that is the first yeah. one with tie-ins, as we'll yes. discuss in a minute here. Because we will discuss some of those tie-ins are loose at best. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right. Well, you finish your history and then we will discuss we will discuss our approach to this case. Right. Secret Wars 2 number 1 was the best-selling comic book of 1985. Wild. Yes, it outsold the original Secret Wars number 1. And it unsold it outsold Uncanny X-Men? Yep. Excelsior. Oh. That is it for THN 667. Next week, the Cosmic Long Box returns, forcing us to review classic back-issue comics based on a theme. This one, a little happier. We're celebrating. It's Pride Month. Joe Patrick, tell them about what the Cosmically Empowered Box has chosen for us this time. Uh, that's right. As Matt said, it is Pride Month as we uh, as we speak. Uh, so next week's theme is I'm Coming Out. Uh we are doing coming out stories. You're not going to sing it? Uh, I'm coming. Coming. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, look, I've been sick. My throat's still not what it, right. what it was. But normally, I'd be able to sing that in a beautiful man voice. Um, yes, we're doing coming out stories. And by coming out stories, I we mean these are stories featuring characters that used to not be gay. <laughs> Queer. We didn't know it's they were queer. Gay. Period. Queer, yes, yeah. queer, transgender, whatever. The uh, LGBTQIA plus, um, and then suddenly were. So it might be an actual coming out story featuring a character, or it might be a character that just was decided by editorial that a reboot of them would be gay. Right. Some of these stories were handled well, and some of them, eh, we'll talk about that. We're doing stories about characters that became LGBTQIA plus characters. After they were introduced. If you want to rap about this week's episode, comics you read, or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following in our nerd news channel on the Discord, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover. We do it every Saturday at 11 Central Standard Time. 
Joe will tell you noon. I don't know why he does it, that. It, it's not always That's standard time. Sometimes time. it's daylight time. Fun so enough. Stop saying standard. 11 Central, Central time. time. You can watch the broadcast live on Facebook, but... If you want to play along, chat with us, or talk with us, you got to join our Discord and learn how to both chat and talk with us live on the show. And we set it up for you. Don't have anything to talk about? We'll give you something. How about a question of the week? I love it. This week's question is courtesy of Brian Domingos from the aforementioned Discord. Hey, I was thinking, <laughs> what's the... Hi, everybody. <laughs> you do the Harry Carey. I love it. Yeah, that. I did. Uh, I was thinking, what is the worst issue or story arc of your favorite series? I love it. It can't all be winners. So now, love it. I want you. To, I want you to listen to that question and respect it. I'm not talking about. We're not just talking about bad stories. We're talking about comic books series that you love. And that one stinker that's in there. You know what I mean? You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Uh, please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You can do that any any old way you, you know to get a hold of us. Twitter, Facebook, email, phone, ziggurat, uh, worldwide, Discord. Contact form. Discord, Discord. Discord. Ooh, contact form. Yeah, uh, yeah, to yeah. com, baby. Uh, I spent a lot of time on that. It, it looks really good. It's neat. If you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline. That number is 402-819-4894, and you could be internet famous. Please remember, we are sharing the air with all of the live callers, or live participants, rather. Uh, so please keep your recorded messages on the short side so that we can get everybody on the show. Right on. If you're new to this show and you can't believe that all the other listeners have not figured out that we're an aging gay married couple, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The, I always suspected. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. THN, let me tell you a little story here, kids. It's a listener-supported podcast. There aren't <laughs> a lot of those around, and it would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, this is our third female patron, Sandy well, Rodriguez. Now, point of order. Sandy Kopach is a dude. Yeah. Sandy can be, uh, yeah, right. Sandy is not necessarily a, a, a female name, yeah. but. Sandy Kofax. We Fam embrace you, Sandy. Famous you Jewish are. baseball player. Not a lot of those you can count. I'll tell you what. I thought that, uh, I thought you were going to, when you said, uh, when you were going to tell a story, I thought you were going to sing it like, well, let me tell you a story about D.H. No, I wasn't going to do that. If you like what you a hear. A podcast that's listener right. supported. <laughs> if, you like what, if you like what you hear, and that didn't offend you. That is it's, not as, that is not nearly as good as the song you came up with earlier. In the it episode. isn't. I nailed it. I am, I am ashamed. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd, where you will hear all kinds of exclusive content or... You can just make a one-time donation via the PayPal because you don't need material things like extras. They are fun, though. I would encourage you to check them out. All right? Yeah, it's like you don't need things. You no. just want things. Right. We had a really and good time different. with this Defender segment. It was fun. I, I hope did. you guys check and, it out. And you know what? Like, we love Jason Sachs more than almost anybody, and that's not uh, no shade on any other listeners. Uh, so I really hope that he takes it with the oh uh, come on, he knows what's with up. the with the good nature we intended it. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Mister Miles Severe, son of Michael, who recently went through a pretty intense surgery 
literally a lifetime in the making. He came through it like a champ and is recovering nicely, hopefully with a big old stack of comics. Word to you, Miles. Word to you, you, buddy. buddy. Yeah. Until next time, True Believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just make sure you get sent to Monster Hospital for your surgery. This (sighs) is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Monster Hospital. Tuesdays at 8. Next time on on a very special Monster Hospital. (laughs) 